Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Well, good morning. We have Dr. John Sullivan. So we're excited. This is our second meal to be on oh, the, yes, the podcast. Is. What's ironic is the other one was John, John Sullivan. O'Sullivan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dr. You're staying within the clan. There, exactly. <laughs> um, he is a clinical sports psychologist and sports scientist. He has over 20 years clinical and scholarly experience, including his work with the New England Patriots. Boo. We're, you're, <laughs> we're in Chiefs land right now. <laughs> in the NFL for 16 years, coordinating sports science and clinical care. He currently holds appointments within the English Premier League, the NCAA, and elite military and law enforcement in the U.S. Dr. Sullivan is also a visiting sports scientist at the Queensland Academy of Sport, Australia Institute of Sport, and visiting scholar for biomedical sciences, psychology, and neuroscience at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. He's a frequent contributor writing on sports science and sports medicine, and his latest efforts have focused on a series of, of books which distills the latest performance psychology, cognitive science, and neuroscience related to optimal brain performance and health, entitled The Brain Always Wins. Welcome um, to the podcast, Dr. Sullivan. Great to be here, and thank you for the, the invite. You bet. Um, can you... First, talk about why you believe the brain is the governor. Sure. It's a it, great question. It's actually not a belief, but we're all at a disadvantage. We don't learn much about the brain. Um, even when we go back to early philosophy in Greek and Roman times, they had an understanding, and actually even before that, e- Egyptian uh, medical doctors understood that the brain was central. And I'll give an example about more in modern applied neuroscience to how we know this. So we have a nerve that runs through the, the center of our body called the vagus nerve. Um, not Las Vegas, but pretty much <laughs> everything that's on the nerve stays on the nerve. Um, and the, this vagus nerve connects the brain, the heart, and the stomach. Mm-hmm. And 80% of that nerve, and you think about how long that nerve has to be. It's the longest nerve. It's the most vibrant nerve. It connects to all of our internal organs. So it's there for the brain to send signals to every internal system we have, as well as receive information. So the brain has always been central to our health and human Mm -hmm. performance. We're just all at a disadvantage. We just don't learn very much. I'm convinced if I didn't study it, I wouldn't know very much. Mm -hmm. Um, I I may know more about eye health and heart health and colon health than I know about my brain. Mm -hmm. So it's always been the governor. Um, We sometimes steer away from it, even in sports, because you know, not having the science or traditions land hard. A term that most people know, you know, muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Muscles don't have memory. 
Never have, never will. <laughs> that is a part of the brain, the somatosensory cortex. It's a band that goes, or a circuit that goes ear to ear, and it controls how we move and how we utilize our muscles. Mm-hmm. And so we've even kind of used language that steers us away, but the brain's always been the governor. I've heard before, I'm just speaking about mental health in the brain, like the brain isn't the cool organ to uh, learn about in, in medical school, or it's not... It's not the cool organ. Would you agree with that? <laughs> oh, I think, I think, no, thank you for that. That's great. <laughs> I like having an audience like, oh, um, no, I think, I think you're right because um, we have filtered language, like mental health is not even accurate. Mm-hmm. I'm a psychologist mm-hmm. because we don't even know what human consciousness is, which would be the term mental. We know that it, it is another adaptive way in which we survive. And it grew over the evolution of the brain. Most people, that think of the brain, they think of that outside wrinkly part, mm-hmm. right? But actually, the lower areas of the brain are far more important. We've gotten over-consumed of trying to understand mental. It's actually brain health. It's not mental health. Mm-hmm. And so it would be a much cooler organ if we paid attention to how it works as a system. But mm-hmm. instead, we want to tweeze it apart and pull it apart, and we want to kind of use ways in which describing it that aren't accurate. And we've had ways of looking deeper into the brain since the 70s and 80s. Mm. But our language hasn't changed. And I think we both can agree that the best story wins. And so if you don't tell a good story, which everyone can understand, then no one's going to get it. Mm -hmm. It's a narrative. We live by narratives. And Mm -hmm. we haven't told a good story. And science has failed in that. And psychology and neuroscience has failed in Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, it's not cool because we don't tell a good story about it. Otherwise, yeah. it's cool. <laughs> well, yeah, we're kind of nerds. I mean, I'm a bit biased. Cool. I'll admit my bias. <laughs> oh, I love the neuroscience <laughs> oh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially because yeah, that's what I find sometimes too. But but I believe I'm biased, so I have to be open. <laughs> well and see i found you from i think it was either twitter and like i kept following your tweets and loved how you connected like the brain and how our body reacts how we react emotionally and so that's what prompted me to buy your book and then i was telling carol like oh you've got to read this like he speaks our language um so that's why we wanted to get you on the the podcast Uh (laughs) well thank you thank you for purchasing the book uh is, is some of our proceeds go th- towards veterans groups that are, you know, and one of the lasting wounds of war is brain health. We're mm-hmm. not wired to be in war or be in a military theater, active military theater. And, and so we want to give to those, and, you know, that who go through that, but also that, you know, that much of what we learn about the brain is due to their sacrifice or due to, the the damage that is done and so i thank you for that and and uh, and we do it sounds like speak a similar language and i i always find twitter an interesting uh, platform i i i I don't know if it's good necessarily (laughs) but uh, i try my best to make it good (laughs) well i I pulled nothing about positives i remember one part of your book speaking about military that really struck me was and i hope i get this right you're talking about with the snipers how they can be in such a chaotic I shouldn't use snipers. The military, the, they're in such a chaotic environment, but you can teach them how to control their breathing so they can bring their heart rate down and be able to focus and be able to handle a gun. I was like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, we could use that. Yeah, nice, n- n- nicely done. And you're right. It isn't just those who happen to have 
training at the level of where you're a sniper, it is each individual. And I would say this is where we're failing law enforcement. They're not getting mm-hmm. enough training mm-hmm. um, on that process. But but you're right. Uh, you can. Breath rate um, manages heart rate, which also manages the brain. And this is where I was talking earlier. The lower centers are so much more important. So we're a top-down system, but the longest developed systems are the lower center of the brain, the brainstem, the pons, the medulla, the amygdala, they all process emotion because we feel first and think. So if you can regulate heart rate and respiration rate, you regulate uh, emotions and they run the show, which then allows you to be able to see and do. So if you're trained to do something, um, we can then do it at a better rate, even though it's chaotic. And, and, not everyone will have that experience of chaos, but all of us have had this experience. Everyone is driven somewhere and have no clue how they got there. Why? <laughs> that, that's because a daily lower basis. Centers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the lower centers of the brain are relaxed, and then you just see and do. Mm-hmm. And so you can train that as chaos happens or intensity happens or stress happens. But it is a training process. One of the things we forget often is that it's not physical repetition. It's emotion regulation and then pattern recognition. Then it goes to movement. So, yeah, yep, I do work with the military in those areas. And uh, these are one of the areas I wish police officers are getting more training in. Mm-hmm. And I think many of the newer, newer recruits as well as older veterans are saying, hey, we need this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're getting it at the elite level, why aren't we? It's a hard job. And I would agree. Yeah, would agree. absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So you break down brain management into the acronym process. Can you share with us what that stands for? Sure. Um, it really, it kind of came together. So Chris Parker and myself, the co-author, who's a professor at Nottingham Trent University in the UK, when we were looking at the literature and trying to kind of put together what, what are the points in which are the strongest that allow us to have the greatest brain health? It, it really kind of, this word just jumped out of us in, in order because this is the order. If we know uh, the P stands for physical activity, so exercise is medicine. We were all designed evolutionary to be hunters and gatherers, to move about 12 miles a day. That movement facilitates growth cells in the brain, facilitates movement of blood, vitamins, minerals, and neurotransmitters. So exercise is that first one, P. Rest and recovery, so we can stimulate all the time, be moving, be exercising, but where it all comes together is rest and recovery. And in a westernized culture, we do that quite poorly. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. when we looked at, yeah, we're designed to be stimulated, but we're designed to be rested. So PR, physical activity, rest and recovery. And then nutrition, and often nutrition is taught by, we should eat these foods or that foods. And actually, if you go back, it's all nutrition is about the brain. All breaking down of food is to make neurotransmitters, which are chemical communication within the brain. Yeah, we eat by ambiance and we eat by, you know, how things look. And that's a modern experience. But really, we eat because, and we have cravings at times, because those foods make a certain neurotransmitter, which allows our brain to function. So we kind of talk about nutrition in a very different way. Um, The gut-brain access, the gut and brain communicate, and the gut is our immune system. Then we look at the next piece of kind of so the PROC or uh, in, in process is cognitive training. We can do things that enhance our abilities on a cognitive level, particularly one of the most important uh, two are attention and memory. 
And there are things we can be doing. Now, exercise helps those, but there are things we can particularly, like meditation. Not necessarily mindfulness. As a scientist, that's a horrible term. It means everything and nothing, and that's bad science. Mm-hmm. But meditation, we actually do have much stronger science on. And with 21st century science, we can see what centuries ago, why has it been passed down? And so we see that it helps with attention and memory. And in an attention economy, which we're all in, everything's grabbing for our attention, ways in which we slow down and recruit neural circuits to heal and to grow is really important. Then the next piece was emotional management, which I talked a little bit about with your wonderful questions, is that emotions run the show. We're wired to feel first and think. Yet you, me, and many of your listeners were taught uh, that we think first and feel. No. By just the way the brain's wired, we are wired to feel. Feelings are how we survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And and feelings are how we process information, how we gain knowledge. And so that's a real important piece, especially in this attention economy where everything's wanting us to react. Mm -hmm. Then the other piece that often isn't talked about is is the first death and process, socialization. All primates. And we're really not homo sapiens. That should have never been a term. That's a subjective term. We're just primates. All primates and all mammals are designed to regulate through socialization. So when we look at someone, and it has less to do, the central nervous system doesn't hear voice. It actually sees eyes, facial reactions. And so those connection points are really helpful for us regulating emotion, regaining energy, preserving energy. Um, a nice example is how many people have had to hug someone they didn't want to. Yeah, there you <laughs> mm-hmm. go. Not very regulatory. Every holiday. Those, no. but yeah, <laughs> Everyone. Are you a non-hugger? Not every day. <laughs> <laughs> but when we do hug someone that we want to, how much that gives us energy back but also regulates us. We're, all mammals are wired that way. Mm. And then the last piece is we've learned this for eons from Darwin, 1859, that no process, is cookie cutter, one size fits all. Actually very individual. So we didn't want to write a book that wasn't honest truth with the science. That putting together a process means there are variations that are different for all of us. The mistake we make in education, an assembly line, everyone learns the same way. No, mm-hmm. not accurate. Mm-hmm. In medicine, everyone gets the same thing. No, not accurate. Sport, we train everyone the same way. No, not accurate. Um, and even industry makes this failure. So we really wanted to develop that process term to be honest with the science and reflect the power of each of them. And, and it just jumped out at us. It wasn't something that was very thoughtful from a literary standpoint. It was more of a scientific standpoint. See, I just love that. I think about the socialization and with this younger generation coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Yesterday was National Suicide Prevention Day, and... Like you said, I think it's key to lock eyes and see somebody's, how they're presenting visibly Mm -hmm. to know emotion. And we're so stuck in our phone and our computer that we don't even connect eye to eye anymore. And I wonder if that's part of the reason we're seeing so much emotion dysregulation. I mean, I think you're touching on something that most things are multifactorial. But Mm -hmm. when we look like you're saying that how often people are engaged in and yes, the, the phones and the tablets are designed to be addictive. You know, I tell this story and most people are surprised by it. Steve Jobs was a brilliant man, but mm-hmm. he also was brilliant enough 
um, to to put together four people that were multidisciplinary to design this. Because if it was 40 people designed the iPhone, we would have never seen it. Uh, it had to be a small group <laughs> that right. then develop it and then hand it off. Well, two of the people in the group were understanding neuroscience. So he wanted to apply principles of addiction. Mm-hmm. So we would get addicted, and that's why they mm-hmm. manipulate the light. Hmm. And so the light really triggers areas of the brain that have to do with dopamine, with seeking and engagement, and as you change the light. In fact, an iPhone and Google phones or you know Android phones are designed to have a light at 12 noon. That's why when people play with them late at night when we're starting to should be feeling drowsy to go to sleep, they mm-hmm. wake up. Mm-hmm. So it's a disruptive of sleep. Mm-hmm. But going back to your premise, I mean, if they're designed to be addictive, what they're taking away are these social connections, but even more so milestones of learning how to socially connect, how to socially engage, how to socially regulate, and then emotionally regulate. So absolutely. And so in the realms I'm in, I'm really educating about that. These are tools, and there's nothing wrong with tools, and I'm not against technology. I use a lot of it in my work. But it, we, we haven't gotten to a point where we're using them well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is going to be long-term knock-on effects of uh, this lack of, of, of social engagement. And, and we, we do see it from a clinical standpoint. More research has to come out about as you pull away those social connections, do we see increases in anxiety and depression? The early research would say yes. Because anxiety is just a warning sign. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. We're not designed to be isolated. And then the long term, we can't deal with anxiety long term. So the other channel that gets turned on is some low grade depression or large, which is just inflammation. Mm-hmm. Depression we know is inflammation in channels. So you're absolutely right. There seems to be this movement towards it's dysregulating us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that kind of goes to our next question of how can listeners build this management of this process acronym into sort of their everyday lives? Yeah, there's, a, there's a number of different ways. Um, and let's go to one of them that you guys have as your philosophy, the fit philosophy. I think one of the things is, is because we're an attentional economy and people generally feel pressed to be constantly on, which we're not wired for, and, and that's the downside of technology is creating space, time for oneself. Now, you could fill that time with things that'll dysregulate you, but I would encourage people <laughs> time to oneself because <laughs> there's always, it's so easy. Um, you know, uh, playing video games on your phone or your tablet is not time to oneself because, again, we're just hitting those dopamine receptors. Time to oneself has to be what what we would consider a time that refuels us, mm-hmm. but it'd be reading, you know, out of a, actually a paper book, you know, because that's, <laughs> or a Kindle that doesn't have blue lights. Um, could it be just sitting, you know, you spend time in the morning sitting on your porch just listening to nature as you enjoy a cup of coffee or tea? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's regulating. Um, could it be spending time and making sure you have social time where you go with friends to do things? You know, and it has to do with conversing and connection. So there are a lot of things we can do, but time to oneself and carrying that out is probably a first step. Then looking at the quality is probably the second step. But I find if we don't do that, then it's much easier to be overtrained because in our environment, 
and whether you're talking about sport, whether you talk about industry, education, medicine, is about work, 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 work. We're not designed for that. That's linear stress. We have to have points of recovery. Mm-hmm. So I like that idea where you talk about fit philosophy, time for oneself. Mm-hmm. Lost concept. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll just go, yeah. <laughs> and then I would go, let's go with, let's go with one of the biggest things is, is, exercise is medicine, but it depends upon timing and dosing. So I'll give an example where we all kind of have made a mistake or we know people have made a mistake. January 1, mm-hmm. everyone signs up for a gym. <laughs> they Watch bury out. themselves in workouts for the first two weeks and they're sore for the next week and then they get a signal from the brain, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. Of course, you <laughs> <Yeah>. overload. <laughs> That's a good signal from your brain. Don't go back. <laughs> Nobody, nobody go back. Yeah, no, that's that's your brain doing the right thing. You overloaded. Mm -hmm. I think the important piece is going, if you're going to go to a gym, is to sign up and to work with a professional who can guide you to make sure the timing and dosing is low. More is not better in exercise. A better process is better. And so Mm -hmm. often it's about, you shouldn't feel pain. It should be enjoyable. It starts exactly. to build towards you can do a little bit harder workouts if you choose. But even if you just go in and it feels easy and that's where you want to stay, we're designed to be physically active, which unlocks all these other health benefits. So do what you love, mm-hmm. but do it in a dose that's attainable and sustainable. You know, we don't do that. And, and gyms love it because the gym empties out four weeks into January. They're still collecting their fees. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. the place is empty. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> they got the four walls pay- paid for. Mm-hmm. Pay less staff, and they get uh, to keep more for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Figured you, it out. You, you got it. Yeah. And I think the next one I would say is most powerful, that we are the worst uh, westernized culture, but I'd say in the U.S. as well, are the worst at is rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. We take the least amount of vacation. We sleep the less, uh, the least. We skip meals. Um, we end up, because we skip meals, it changes our gut-brain axis where we crave foods that don't sustain the central nervous system and then have knock-on effects of disrupting the bacteria in the gut, which are supposed to produce neurotransmission and neurotransmitters for communication. So it's getting better at rest and recovery. And if I was to focus on one, I'd focus on the most important sleep. It's our mm-hmm. number one performance enhancer. Um, to give everyone at home kind of a, a sense of this, and I was just speaking to a, a, a tactical group in the military, and it's amazing. It's one-third of our life, 33% of our life we spent sleeping, but most people know very little. And again, mm-hmm. it all goes back to the brain. We sleep because, well, there are theories about this we don't fully know, but one of the theories we're, we're really well-educated on now is the brain has its way at sleep of cleaning itself. Mm-hmm. So it cleans itself so then every other system can. Mm. And if every one of us gets under the healthy range of 7 to 10 hours, that's the range, it's the equivalent the next day of getting up and going to do whatever you do with the equivalent of a blood alcohol level of 0.04. That means you went to work drinking one to two beers. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Without the enjoyment so of drinking the beer. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well said. <laughs> you just get the, you just get the lag of it, you know, the, the feeling like you're just off. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it's such an important piece. But as Americans, we're really poor at it, mm-hmm. and uh, we're some of the worst. And so, getting better at sleep, and then also using napping. 
think about what we learned in kindergarten was so right. Mm-hmm. You should be napping. Companies pay people to nap now. Uh, why? Helps with health, creativity, creativity, innovation, you know, lack of turnovers, enjoyment on the job. For God forgive, forgive you know, we, we forbid we actually experience joy on the job. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if a nap is going to do it, do it. Oh, right. an app will do it for sure. We have his order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my schedule during the day. Honestly, I've worked with people where the company would look at you like you've lost all bit of sense. But if you can actually get away and maybe take, I, I've had people take naps in their car. They'll eat for the first half hour, if they get an hour lunch, mm-hmm. and then they'll go nap in their car. So they're mm-hmm. out of the way and purview. And that's been okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it's finding ways. But when companies like Google and Verizon, um, you know, I, I, I was with the New England Patriots for almost 17 years. Um, we have an app room. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to get there, but once I could show the coaches that it benefited them, their performers, and the athletes, we saw the knock-on effect of health, performance, enjoyment, engagement, and we also moved to educate the families. Mm-hmm. But what dad was doing at work, and this might be helpful and of course, the moms at home really enjoy that because the kids got to go. I get to be like dad. He's a pro athlete. Mm-hmm. So we get to help everybody. So th- these things are really important, um, but we've kind of forgot them. Yeah. If you look at industry in an eight-hour job, there's no research that shows an eight-hour day is the optimal place, optimal right. time mm-hmm. limit to do excellent work. I agree we with you. We actually know that. Yeah, there wasn't remember, any research. You know, like, who who figured this out? Who talked <laughs> all of us into working an eight-hour day? Who is this person? Yeah, we all got brain-dead the last one, two. <laughs> mm-hmm. <But> trickery. <laughs> it's about efficiency. Right. So these companies have really looked at innovation. Hey, if we can get them to nap and they get more efficient or get more innovative, why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is fascinating stuff. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my gosh, you have given us so many tips. Is there last little bit that you practice every day to live out the fit philosophy? Yeah, I would go with, you know, I love your fit philosophy. You know, the idea that we're all performers. And I think that's missed. I mean, it's always just left to athletes. And that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. You show up and you got to be a mom and dad. You got to perform. You got to be on. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to be perfect, but you got to be on. There is no perfection. Um, And then every other walk of life the same way. I mean, health's just a given. If we don't take care of ourselves in that aspect, we can't perform. And I think that's the biggest foundation. And I think one of the things is, as I stay focused there, that in our culture, we often look at performance as a separate bucket. That's impossible. If you don't have brain health, you don't have health and your knock-on effect of being able to perform every day goes down. And then I would go with the other piece, intellect. i got to be honest with you, one of the things, if I'm not learning something every day, and I do a, I do a lot of reading, uh, you know, peer-reviewed journals, things of that nature, um, if I'm not exercising, I'm not focused in some way on my health and socially engaged and not learning something, it's not a complete day for me. Mm-hmm. But I love your fit philosophy. Well, thank you. One last question. Do you still have your podcast? We have been on break for a little bit. We're going to come back out with it. So we will be, yes. And uh, certainly we have all those online uh, on Stitcher as well as our website, uh, thebrainalwayswins.com. We will be. We're actually going to be coming out with actually uh, also more of a video series in which we're we're having 
very much like the book, I think all the best ideas come out of conversation mm-hmm. and uh, really taking that tone with it because if we don't converse about this stuff, I don't think we have the opportunity then to make change because we don't make stories with it as right. we talked about. So yeah. we will be doing that as well. Yeah. And thank you for supporting it. I really yeah. appreciate that and uh, want to support what you guys are doing because uh, what you're putting out is great information as well. Well, thanks. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes so they can follow that as well. And thank you so much for your time today. Oh, much appreciated. It was great to converse with you guys and have the opportunity to, to connect. Well, have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Bye, Queens. Thank you to our sponsor today, Sentimano Counseling. Sentimano Counseling is the premier perinatal mental health practice in Kansas City, treating mood disorders during pregnancy and postpartum, perinatal loss, infertility, eating, and exercise disorders. Go to sentimano.com for further information about the practice and services. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, Queens.